Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Early Education Show. We're here with episode 89. I'm Liam. I'm Lisa. And I'm Leanne. And we're here. This is it. This is our last uh, sort of end of year extravaganza episode. This is now the third of these we've done. This is our third year in review slash Q&A slash prediction episode. Does it feel like we've done, what we're now to the, three, the, the third of these? I'm just disappointed that we didn't make 90. That would have been like a perfect, perfect, you know, 30 per year. I know. We did, we've done, do you know what we've done? I worked out today, we've done 34 episodes this year though. How many? 34. Yeah, it was slack. Oh, I know. I it feels like a lot more. I don't know if it's just because of how tired we are, but I mean, we sort of take the school holidays off and we don't do episodes in December and January, so it kind of works out, but it does feel like a lot more. All right. We've got to, we've got to beat it next year. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm not bad. I'm happy with doing less next year. <laughs> Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so uh, as you, we're recording this quite early in December, but as you're listening to this, um, it's probably, you know, it, we're right in the middle of December, probably only a few days away from most services closing down for the year. So we hope everyone's uh, wrapping up, having a wonderful time at the end of the year, doing lots of team reflections and and uh, preparing to go to go home for a week or go on holiday and really take care of yourselves. I'm sure you've all done an amazing job in your services with, with children and families um, and your colleagues. Um, but yes, yeah, so for, if this is your first year of review episode, we did this uh, in 2016 and 2017. So the basic structure of what we're going to be doing, we're going to be um, having a bit of a year in review. So each of us are going to pick one event or one news item or one thing that happened during the year that we think you know was kind of the biggest um, event or or story, um, and then um, we are going to make some predictions for what we think might happen next year in 2019, which is always fun. Uh, and then we, we've got a few questions from listeners that we'll tackle at the end of the episode as well. Um, before we get on to that part of the show, though, we've got a, just a couple of little housekeeping things. So um, the episode, or I should say um, element 1.2.2 of our Exploring the NQS uh, spin-off series is now available and uh, that series will be continuing over the break I think we'll have one week off uh, during that, that Christmas week but that's going to be uh, continuing while we take um, December and uh, January off so uh, you can access that series by becoming a supporter on Patreon for just as little as one dollar a month and I've been getting some good feedback from that series so thanks to everyone who's listening it's been really enjoyable doing it um, and then the last thing is Lisa you you had this is like the return of the news list. We haven't done the news list for a while because we've been wanting to get to sort of the main part of the show. But you've got a you've got a return edition of the news list for our last episode of the year. What are, what are you bringing us this week? Yeah, I just want to, in case um, people haven't heard it, um, do you remember you know Judith Sloan, who famously once called um, education and care workers or educators dim-witted and lacking common sense, and saying that they had. Um, educations from second-rate universities. How could we forget? She's Lisa? always one of those people that really hates us. Yeah, absolutely hates our sector. Thinks that you know it's professionalised way beyond where it should be, and anyone can look after children, kind of thing. Well, I just thought that every educator that's on the bare minimum wage would like to know that um, in a you know, internal mix-up by her employer. Her wage was sent around to everyone in the um, in the corporate in News Corp that she works for, and she earns three hundred thousand a year. So the next time she says anything horrible about her about us, just remember she's on a way lot of money for saying nasty things. Hmm. And Lisa, you, you your 
you seem to be suggesting to me that maybe well, her output maybe isn't worth that salary. Mm, yes. Take your time. Think about. It. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Look, I'm I'm always indebted to Judith Sloan because she um she my I, I, when I, when she when she made in 2013 or something she's given me what is still to this date my highest hitted blog post on my on my website where I did a response to her. So I am bizarrely I'm always sort of feel I'm slightly in her debt. So you know a small price to pay is what I say for you know a few hits on my website. <laughs> Fair All right. Enough. Well, I I did say when before we started recording, Lisa says, hey, "Did you want to sully this, you know, festive end of year episode with Judas Sloan?" But we've we, we've done it. Well, I I do feel it's a bit like I'm I'm not quite you know morally happy about um you know someone's salary being outed and you know then laughing at how much they earn, but. Just because she had such a go at educators, I thought people might like to, you know, enjoy a bit of, um, what's that German word that I can never pronounce? Schadenfreude. Yeah, yeah, that one. You know, about her salary being known publicly. Fair enough. All right, well, let's leave. Let's, um, we'll take a quick uh, break and then we'll be back with our sort of year in review section. So stay with us. All right, everyone, welcome back. We're at the end of another, a really another big year for, for early childhood. I think we kind of started this podcast um, exactly right. 2016, 2017, and 2018 have all been pretty big years for the sector. Um, we've obviously got a pretty big huge... it hasn't stopped. 2011 never... was this huge year because it was leading up to the rigs. But then 2009 was big because we had the EYLF. So I just kind of feel tired at the end of every year. <laughs> it's, it's never stopped. It does, yeah, it doesn't seem to stop, does it? But I, I don't know whether it's because we're getting older. I think that's what it is, Lisa, that we think oh. everything's sort of happening. <laughs> <laughs> um, Speak for yourself. I'm still a young thing. Yes, uh, sort of. Oh. <laughs> do you love it? if we get to the end of every year and we're all just a bit more uh we're we're just all a little bit harder edged to the end of the year because we've reached the end of another big year i quite like it but um so uh, i think what we're going to do so the way we've done this in the past where we do this year is we're, we're, we're just going to sort of go around um the all three of us and we're going to pick one thing uh, that we want to sort of talk about that was a big thing during the year. Now, we haven't discussed these beforehand, so I hope everyone's got sort of a backup one. I was also going to say I meant to raise this before we started recording, but why don't we just do it while we're, while we're actually recording? I think we should say the introduction of the childcare subsidy, we're going to take that as red, right? Like that that was such a big, huge thing. And we've kind of de- we've devoted probably, you know, eight or nine episodes to it this year. People want to go back and hear our thoughts on that if they're not sick of them. Can we sort of agree that that's we, – we will take that off the table? Yeah, um, yes. I think, do you think everybody's sick of us talking about that? Yeah. Um, Well, yeah. My view is, well, if they'd listened to us, we wouldn't have had to have talked about it so much. But anyway, (laughs) who knows? So, um, does anyone want to volunteer to go first or can I pick on someone to go first? Or would it be fair for me to go first? I think you should go first. What a great idea. Okay, then at least I get the one I wanted to choose. Lisa and I can quickly Google while you're, <laughs> you've got ours. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Um, so my the again, I remember I listened to the to last year's episode to prepare for this one because I have a little surprise um, for for Leanne and Lisa later on. If people who listened who've been listening to us for a while will remember, um, we we um, we did some 
we did some prediction work and I got some surprises for Lisa and Leanne. So, um, God, did we do badly? Uh, well, yes, we'll, that will come to that in the next section. Uh, but oh. the it was it, so then in sort of thinking about you know what sort of stood out this year, sort of separate to the to the childcare subsidy. I think for me it has to be um, Labor's announcement to of, of three year old preschool. It's kind of an obvious one, but I, I sort of kept coming back to it. I wish I could be a bit more creative, but this did feel like a really big um, announcement. This was a major political party and also the political party that is most likely to win the next election, sort of finally, you know, nailing their colours to the mast saying, yes, this needs to happen and we will do this. Um, so, the, you know, I, that, that to me, I think is going to be the big, separate to the childcare subsidy is the big sort of, um, is the big thing that, that happened this year. There's still a lot of detail to come around it. We still, and really, we still need to kind of finalise and nail down four-year-old preschool. But, you know, that one really stood out to me. Did You know, do you two sort of agree? Yes, I do. But I also think it was pretty. Was it this year that um, they re, that the states released um, Deborah and yeah, lifting our game. Yeah, that was our first episode of the year. Was our interview with Deb Brennan? Yeah, that so that was yeah, like pretty amazing in itself that all the states decided to get behind three-year-old preschool. You can't say that. I, I can't believe it, but that's going to be my high point of the year. The one that you just said, Lisa, the lifting our game. Oh, okay, I won't say it then. I won't say it. (laughs) 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 Okay. Yeah. Well, that's all. Well, let's let's move on to Leanne, if, if that's your choice, because I think these two are obviously pretty interconnected. But um, do you want to elaborate on that, Leanne? So was that that was that well, was a particular they big are, moment and for you? Sorry for my. I hope you can edit out that little sad moment that I had there. I'm sorry, Leanne, because I didn't want to deflect um, your uh, your com- yeah. you know move away from what you actually just said. But I know that um, Deb Brennan's lifting our game report. Deb. Brennan and Susan Pascoe's report was actually released in December 2017, but I'm still going to claim that it was 2018 (laughs) because I don't think it got much traction until 2018. And yes, I think that that was the, that, that seems to have been a really interesting report as a trigger for a lot of commentary around early childhood education. And it seems to have made things, even if they haven't moved, I think that it's been brought into the, um, brought in, brought into the sort of public demand in in a way that it hadn't before. And so I, why, not... why, why do you think that that's happened, Leanne? There's been a lot of reports. You look at the Productivity Commission, you look at all this kind of stuff. Why Why did this one, and I agree with you, this one did seem to, to catch on and it has, and God, there can't be that many reports of this kind that within, look, I can't remember when Labor announced, but you know, within nine months, there was a pretty major um, announcement by a political party that really just could have endorsed the key recommendations of that, of that report. Well, why do you think this one sort of took off? I think it was brought into, I think it was a different sort of way of approaching it. And I think that when we interviewed Deb, she talked about that in actual fact, about a different sort of approach to how the report was presented in terms of um, the impact that it had on, was it the impact that it had on the, the later years? Even though we say that, I think that there was, Ah, there was something in there. I'm going to have to have a quick check on that. But it it just brought it into a different kind of frame and it was able to bring that focus as well to the fact that we were so appalling in terms of our three-year-old rate of attendance, participation compared to the OECD. I think it was really good at shining a a light on that and just maybe bringing some of the other um, 
just some of the other facts into a public space about parent and community engagement, quality and workforce. So I think things kind of bounced off that as well. And that this was the first time that it was really highlighted in a report like this, that the 600 hours of preschool had, it, you know, the universal access had increased participation. Now, how accurate that is, I'm not 100% sure, but it just did seem to, to get... <laughs> A lot, you cynic, a lot, oh, you cynic. <laughs> it did get become, it was a lot, it just did get some traction and also it focused as well on um, the percentage of children that were starting school who were developmentally vulnerable, that being 22%. And that's a pretty, that's a pretty big number when you're thinking about children who are starting school with one one or more domains of the AEDC at, at a developmentally vulnerable state. For sure. Absolutely. So that was, yeah. that was mine. I just thought it was – and it's still – we still talk about it. We, we've we heard about it. We heard about it at the, um, the Child Australia Conference in the Northern Territory. So, yeah, so I think it has – it's been enduring. I think we should make it our personal goal to keep it going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and I think um, you know, bringing it back to that that announcement about um, three-year-old preschool, this kind of felt to me like um, like a really good, actually a really successful um, look. I, I I don't think either Professor um, Brennan or Professor Pasco would describe the document necessarily as an advocacy document. I don't think that was its purpose. And I think they'd probably be careful not to say that. But um, you know, for me, it was in terms of the outcome, it was a pretty successful way of advocacy, which seemed to. They seemed to get the states and territories sort of lined up, and and it seemed to me like the the report was commissioned on the kind of assumption that that that, that they'd been thinking about this. I think Jay Weatherall, the old uh, South Australian premier, had done a bit of groundwork in this area, in particular, and probably, of course, Victoria, because they were always doing wonderful early childhood things. So it seemed like this was quite a good way. They kind of got the states and territories on board, and then you know I think federal labour were kind of it was kind of inevitable that this announcement would be made. Eventually, because you know they, they they had a sense that the states and territories were were doing this, and um, you know the ACT, um, New South Wales to some extent, and I know you you, you both have some uh, quibbles about the details about how that's going to be rolled out. And Victoria have all you know announced their own version of of doing this. So it seemed like combination. Yeah, the, the time had come for this announcement, and the lifting our game report was you know the perfect sort of final um, capstone to get this work started. Yeah, and I, I um, when we were talking about why it did have this big impact, and I, I do recall this was what we were talking about with Deb, and I found that the key um, statement in here that uh, there is compelling evidence that early childhood education can improve Australia's school performance and student achievement. High-quality programs that are relevant to local communities and contexts help to big springs build strong cognitive and non-cognitive skills, securing the foundations for future learning. So I think it was just such a clear statement about school outcomes, and I think this was one of the first times that Deb Brennan had actually brought this particular argument to bear on a, a report on early childhood. Not that we want to know about standardised testing or anything like that, but this was where it was brought into the, the frame. So, yeah, so that that's, that is the reason. And I think it is, um, you know, as you've just said, Liam, it was a, a very important, it was a very important time. Wonderful. Well, we should say as well um, that that interview was the far first episode of of the year. That's episode fifty four. So that was our interview with Professor Deb Brennan about that report. I'd really recommend um, if you're missing the show and, and wanting to go back and listen to some old favourites, like popping that one on over the um, over the January break. 
All right, so we've had ours. Lisa, what, what, are, you, what's, uh, what are you bringing us from the archives of 2018? Look, I'm really not sure because there's been a, a lot of things that are, rather than pulling on one, can I have you know, just a few points that I think are worth talking about? One every is, time. Um, every time there's a rule imposed on the podcast, yeah, Lisa I'd just has to go. I know. I'm surprised <laughs> there's not two things, Liam. Well, actually there is, but as I went to say that, I thought you'd both laugh, so I changed it. No, look, the first thing um, was uh, the stop work, the walk-off by um, staff again this year. Uh, I think that... Every time educators walk off the job, um, it gets more people to understand that we're asking our educators to pay for economic growth in this country, to pay for the caring of children to enable other women to go to work. And I think each time it happens, even though it seems like we're no further towards getting decent wages for educators, at least it raises people's understanding a bit more. Um, and the other thing is something that Liam alerted me to this morning. Do you remember that, Liam? Oh, God. No, that was hours ago, Lisa. I've already walked out there. And said, what happened this morning? <laughs> It was the release of the UN report. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember all of that hours and hours ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, um, uh, I think, it, so basically, sorry, it wasn't the UN, it was G20. So the G20 basically committed to a stronger focus on the first five years, especially the first thousand years, and they said, we're convinced that early childhood is one of the most significant and influential phases of life, especially the first thousand days. And, like, you know, that's pretty amazing when, you know, the G8 kind of puts that out as, or G20, sorry, puts that out as policy, you know. Um, so they're talking about children, you know, um, being well-nourished and healthy and they're talking about... Um, recognising the need for quality and inclusive childcare services. Structural quality in such services depends heavily on the quality of infrastructure as well as on capacity building, decent work conditions and adequate tra training for caregivers. The capacity of this workforce is central to delivering quality services. So, you know, and they recognise the role that early learning and stimulation play during early childhood. So, you know, I reckon, you know, when all of the governments in the world, the major governments in the world say, yeah, this is a really important space for young children and young children are very, a very important space for the world, it's working, right? Uh, look, I, I do 100% agree with you, Lisa, but next year I am going to initiate a drinking game that every time there is a report like this or there's a statement or any of these things, people should take a drink. Oh, God, we drunk the whole year. Because, because I just, there's so many of these released all the time or there's statements like this, the, the old motherhood statement, and when do we actually get secure, ongoing, fully supported early childhood education that somebody is not attacking? 
I mean, well, it's what... not like me to be a, a downer on this. But I know. I, What's going on? I just, I just look. It does. It does seem to be. Oh, sorry, I forgot my third one. Can I have the third one, and then I'll agree with every word you're saying, Leanne. Oh, thank my you. Oh my god. One was... Oh my god, Liam, stop! <laughs> stop this recording. <laughs> this is not going to happen. <laughs> It is. I've got a third one, and then I'll, I promise to agree with everything you say from yeah here till the end of the year at least. Um, but the third one was the release of the research um, that came out from. Now I'm going to get the wrong cohort. Was it the Perry cohort or what's the other one in the US? We've got Perry and oh, at, at... Abyssidarian. Yeah, no, I think it was Perry then. So they did their latest, you know, um, check on how those children that got intensive early education and care all those years ago are going, and they discovered that if you'd been to early education care as a child, by the time you were 40, you were more caring and empathetic. Mm. Now, isn't that just like... If you were a politician and heard that, wouldn't you want to go away and make sure everybody got... Yeah, yeah. But well, not, every, not every politician. politician about... like Donald Trump or Scott Morrison or, you know, quite yeah. a lot of our politicians, they probably, you know, maybe they don't think that empathy and caring are the high value, values that we do. I don't, I don't think that that word is in everybody's vocabulary. I, I honestly don't. I what don't empathy, caring. No, I don't. I'm not. I'm, I'm. I'm not even trying to be funny right now. I mean, I just don't think it is. I don't think it's seen as a key component of a, as if a civil society. It's just you know that, that's that's for the losers. I think. Mm. Well, actually, well, no, especially might... if you insist upon leaving refugees at Nor and Nauru, then empathy, you know, refugee mm. children in Nauru, then empathy isn't quite. Well, I feel like we're, we're chucking articles and recommendations around, but this, that's just reminded me of an article by um, Verity Firth, who was reflecting on 10 years of the Melbourne Declaration. For, for people who don't know, I think I've mentioned them on the podcast a few times. The Melbourne Declaration was this document signed um, by all the uh, state and territory and federal governments in Australia in 2009, I want to say, 2008, I think. Um, which which was sort of the was their idea of the roadmap for the future of education in Australia. Now I don't think a lot of that roadmap's been used, but you know um, uh, Verity uh, had a really good article which was talking about you know the, there was an attempt there in that document even ten years ago to try and identify what were the most important skills and the things we should be um, teaching children, and it was this move away from you know checklists and and knowing things by rote and exactly these kind of things resilience empathy um you know civic participation um so i do think this is that it's it's a conversation that's being had it's just um it's interesting when i was at the mitchell institute uh event a couple of weeks ago um i ended i I, i'm I'm going to shock you both by saying i was a bit you know probably depressed and bitter and cynical about uh about everything that was happening but i did make sure i finished the night by saying it is important to remember that we that that things do change eventually australia just has this ability to drag things on forever and ever same-sex marriage is you know a great example you know that should have been solved 10 years ago and it just took you know 
you know, to last year and took a postal vote and took all this nonsense to get there. But we do eventually get there and we lock them in and we move on. Um, that will happen with these things, I think, as well. It's just Australia, for some reason, insists on taking forever and dragging us through a hideous process to get there. But, we, but it will happen. It will, we will win. Do you think so? Hang on, hang on. All day I've been getting you too confused. Now you're being Pollyanna. <laughs> I got, I, it's probably another 20 years away, so, so when we do our 2038 year in review episode, um, we'll remember this prediction from then. I, look, I, Liam, nothing would give me greater joy than you being right. It's amazing how often I hear that sentence. <laughs> all right well i think um was there anything okay, else we... so leanne what do you want me to be nice to you about or agree on with you on um no was it just what i said you were you were going to agree with me on yes oh, on, everything. The, okay. on everything thank you yeah <laughs> were there any um little things we wanted to add from 2018 we want before we forget it we might not go into them but were there any any little things? I'm really glad you brought up the the big steps actions, um, Lisa, and 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 again, just um, I just I love we're just recommending our own content now, which is uh, like we've now reached peak peak capitalism. But episode sixty and sixty one uh, both focused on um, the big steps walk off. Uh, really, really uh, worth a listen. Um, uh, was yeah? Was there any, any any other little things we wanted to add from 2018 before we turn our I, attention I, to? I just want to add something. Like it's quite it's quite a personal one. Thank you. So I would like to have one minute to, um, because I've been uh, out in um, centres doing quite a bit of research this year, and I just want to say that I've been totally inspired by those by those wonderful centres. They know who they are. Big shout out to them, um, and I think that that yeah that the work that I've seen this year has really um i guess reinvigorated my inspiration oh yay that's great to hear mm-hmm. yeah yeah i was inspired good. before but i, just, I must just admit been... when when you see a good center it does you know make you kind of go oh that's right this is what's what it's all about yeah and there's so many good things that do happen in in centers of, at a whole range of levels, and I think it is, you know, I just think that the work that people have do, it's just been, it has been very inspiring, but I just feel personally very inspired. Oh, good. Mm. Wonderful. Well, that's a nice note to end that little section on. All right, so we'll take another little quick break, and then we'll be back casting our eye forward to 2019. Stay with us. Right, we're at one of my favourite parts now of um, both this episode and our, and our episodes throughout the year. So we're going to be um, giving a prediction each for what might happen in 2019. It's something to do with early childhood, whether it's politics, policy or something. But before we do that, this is what I've been really looking forward to all day. I'm going to do, do either of you remember your predictions from last year. So we we all made predictions for what we thought might happen in 2018. Do either of you remember either of yours? No. I don't. I don't remember, but I think that mine was a. It was a bit of a reach. I do think that I. I made a bit of a reach. Is that right? Well, again, because so our twenty. So our predictions for twenty eighteen and twenty seventeen. Um, Lisa was the only one who won. We were, we were one for three as a team in in twenty seventeen. <laughs> so Lisa, yeah. you you were the winner there. Um, 
all I can say at the moment is for unfortunately our 2018 predictions, uh, it's not been great. We are now zero for three. So it, oh, it, this no. is, it was not a good year for anyone, unfortunately. So I guess. What, so what did we predict? All right. So we must start with you, Lisa, because you were the most successful. Our hopes were riding on you, Lisa. You had some sort of clairvoyant ability, but um, that has proved not to be the case. Um, and your one is actually was particularly hard to listen to yours when I li- when I listened to it again this morning, Lisa. So, Lisa, your prediction was <laughs> oh, that in tw- well, your prediction was in twenty eighteen the the wage case would be finalised and we would win, and educators would get a modest wage increase. So you sort of said, look, it wouldn't be the, the wage increase, but you were we, were we were certain, and look, Leanne and I both agreed as well. We kind of thought it was there was no chance that wouldn't happen, and and as we know, unfortunately, in February that case was dismissed. Um, I that think did that not happen. Have been infected um, by Leanne's Pollyanna-ish kind of stuff. That was did clearly you say, mad, mad, did you mad. Poly, did you say Pollyanna-ish or Pollyamorish? Pollyamorish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Sorry. I thought, oh God, we, we're going down a whole new road for this podcast. That's a sorry, whole. Sorry. That's a whole other episode we have to devote more time to. Um, yeah. But yes, unfortunately, that was really sad. Isn't that it? Was really sad. It was so we were we were pretty convinced that was going to happen. We were pretty matter of fact about it. So it was a bit. It was it sort of stabbed me in the heart again to listen to that um, from from about twelve <laughs> months ago. So unfortunately, that's a ba-bow for for Lisa. Again, if I was more organised, I'd have a sound effect. You know that old sale of the century, ba-bow. But <laughs> yeah, I know if that I could, one. Find, <laughs> I don't have that one. All right, Leanne, your one again. Now, your one, Leanne, on technicality, you might have won this, but I, I'm, I'm probably going to hold fast at that. This is unfortunately a ba-bow for you too. So oh, your no. your uh, prediction was that there would be funded P- PD support for the for the jobs for families package for, for services <gasps> and that there would be a tender process and that all the money would be announced and there would be organisations <gasps> running it and um, that certainly did not happen. Now, to be fair to Lisa, she laughed uproariously at that and said that will definitely not be happening and that the, the department wouldn't be organised. Would, I wouldn't remember that that needed to happen and the government would certainly know where they were going to push it. So unfortunately, that was a that was a no-no as well. Do you think that might still come though, somewhere along the way? Like, is it because it's all been sort of so slow and look, I, I... obviously I'm tr- still trying to ride this horse. <laughs> <laughs> Um, look, I, don't, I mean, I, uh, if they weren't going to roll, if they weren't going to do it at the rollout stage, I, I doubt. Well, look, well, well, if Labor win government next year, maybe that they provide something along those lines. Um, I don't think it's very likely. Mm, Dan, the man's going to do any promises from Labor. No, I think it, it's not likely. I think we'd have to say now. Oh, oh, okay. We will talk about that in the predictions. Mm. Yeah, I had. A, I just had a thought. Only one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's uh, that's two down from three, and then unfortunately okay. mine was also bad. Did, now, was, sorry, Liam. Was there any? Was there any? No. Funded. No. Nothing? Well, there wasn't even any online support. No. So this is where what? I was going to go. Look, on a technicality, you might better say, look, there was like some, a marketing company was given funding to to roll out some, uh, you know, some emails and things. Like that, but I don't think we can really count that, can we? What about the advertising that there was? I, I, I personally think that was parents, <laughs> parents professional development. <laughs> Leanne, I think you're going to have to just accept right. that this one was not a winner. Okay. <laughs> but I do appreciate your stamina in sticking with it. <laughs> Thank you. All right, and then mine also was a big flop as well. My prediction, now, in my own defence, I did say this was gonna, I was going to go big or go home on this one. My prediction was that one of the big 
uh, for-profit corporate providers would fall over in 2019. And uh, oh, yes, I that didn't yeah. happen. They're still looking pretty well, shaky. They did have, a, have a, a very, very large part of their value wiped off. So yeah. yeah, but unfortunately none of them were helpful enough to fulfill my prediction and, and go bankrupt. So while I'm kind of glad, I guess, that you know that, that hasn't happened, it's not, it's not gone good for the early education show prediction market. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, well, yeah, that's interesting because I remember when you did say that, and um, look, you were you were in real terms, you were probably close. It could look. But, they're, they're definitely still wobbly. They're definitely still shaky. Particularly a couple of them, but they've they've hung on in there. So fair play to them, I guess. Okay. Um, so well, I guess this well means done. yeah. So that's zero for three this year. If we count. Last year, I mean, we're one from six. So in any advertising we do for the podcast, I think, you know, uh, future prediction is is not going to be something we're going to be able to hang our hats on in terms of promoting the show. (laughs) So, um, yes. But, you know, what... We're better at analysing the past than guessing the future. That's right. That's because we're, you know, like we're, we're committed researchers and, you know, we never guess or, you know, we always... Yeah, you know, give um, uh, accurate factual information. Yeah, and look, and this is look, this is the post-truth fake news world. And look, in Australia, we we, we it's it's pretty mad to predict who's going to be the prime minister next week. Let alone you know what's going to happen in terms of policy and, and government. And can so. I make a point that Hillary Clinton was supposed to be the president of the United States? Oh my god! And a yeah. lot of people got Ugh. that wrong. Ugh. Yeah, so we're in good good hands. Yeah. We're in good yeah. company. Company. <laughs> All right, so now, so this is our chance, I guess, to to try and turn this around. We need to get some runs on the board for when we record this episode in December 2019. Uh, so we need some predictions for 2019. So I'm going to pick on I'm going to pick on Lisa first. Lisa, what are you gazing into the crystal ball? What's coming for us in 2019? I predict that um, we will have an ALP government. In nationally and in New South Wales. Oh, and do you want to make any predictions about what that means for early childhood? I'll probably bugger all. No, <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> <I wasn't> that. <laughs> um, well, I think I actually think it's really interesting because I think people forget that, and like we don't, you know, really come out as overtly political. At any, like we are political, but not partisan party political, right? And I'm not a Labor Party member by any means, but I do think that we all forget that what we're going through now, what we've been through in the last few years, is what happens under conservative governments. Education and care doesn't go down well with conservative governments. They think it's childcare. They don't understand it. Money to the sector dries up, so peak organisations are all fighting over a smaller and smaller pool of money to support their activities, so everyone's sniping at each other. Um, The... uh, the you know they talk conservative governments talk a lot about over regulation in the sector but at the same time they're really strong on compliance activities so 
everyone in the sector feels like as if they're tarred a bit with the brush of those that are, you know, in education and care purely to make money out of it or to rot. Um, the, you know, there's almost no access between the education and care sector and government. Um, and I think that all of those things make you feel like it's, it's always like that and we're all, like, it's really hard. But when the last, you know, like, I'll go back to, to the last time Labor took over after a period of Conservative government, we had um, Kevin Rudd in, that was in 2007, and that's when we got the NQF. That's when we got the early years learning framework. That's when we got the professional support coordinators. That's when we got a CEQA. That's when we got, you know, better ratios in services. That's when we got a whole heap of things, you know. And I think, you know, if we can push, you know, like we've already been promised three-year-old preschool, if we can push for more things from a potential Labor government, like funded professional development, like, um, you know, uh, a commitment to better wages, you know, then there's the possibility that those things will go through and we won't be running this kind of, you know, action where we're just attacking everything that comes out, we'll actually be able to put forward some positive proposals. That would be very exciting. Do you think I've had the Pollyanna one as well? Yep. <laughs> well, I think you've made a prediction that uh, that's probably that, that's probably a good, a nice, uh, big prediction to make, which is going to be a bit easier for us to determine whether it's done. But um. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm interested in what I guess. Yeah, what the implications are for, for early education policy. And I think, like you said, I think it's a, there's always an opportunity when you have a, a non-conservative government in. But um, I just hope Labor's done a lot of work in the background. I think they have. Look, I think Kate Ellis before she left and um, Amanda Rishworth, they they both seem to get early education, which is you know <laughs> better than we've had uh, for the last five years. Um, and I guess we'll just see what transpires next year. Ooh. All right. Okay, Leanne, Ooh. your turn now. You can have your choice of tarot cards or tea leaves, whatever you prefer, but <laughs> whatever you want well, to cast your eye over. Yeah, interestingly, Lisa and I were thinking about the same things. However, <laughs> I've got a different view on this. Um, I think that we'll keep a Liberal government in New South Wales and I don't, I don't think Labor's going to get in here. And nationally, I think that we will just have a Labor government. I know it seems inconceivable, as does the election of Donald Trump seem inconceivable. And I think that there's quite a lot of the country that thinks Scott Morrison just is a pretty good bloke. Um, so I'm thinking that there's still he'll still retain sort of quite a lot of votes. Now I am going to be so happy if I'm wrong about that. <laughs> so that that will be absolutely wonderful. But I think we'll have a change of a change of um, party, 
in government because we'll definitely have a change of government, whatever happens. And just so long as Craig Kelly loses his seat in my area, I'll be more than happy. Anyway, sorry. Do <laughs> you really think he here. will? <laughs> oh, I, I've decided that I'm actually going to campaign for every other party. I'm going to offer my services to every single party in this area. <laughs> so that I And I'm going to tackle people. And anyway, that's by the by. Um, and so the other the part about that is that I don't think we'll see any reforms in early childhood until 2020. Mm. Is my that, That's what I feel. I feel that it's going to take a while to get... Um, whether they've already decided all of those things, which we've seen a bit of, I just think it's going to take a bit longer than that for that to be up and going. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's probably a safe prediction. Although I think um, and Amanda Rishworth has all but said um, that they can't do a lot around the childcare subsidy and even the activity test immediately because the system is just so sort of enmeshed. Um, I think that's probably a, a probably a fair call. That, yeah, and that that won't change. I mean, governments love to when when other governments do stuff that they don't then have to do because then they'll say it's too hard to change it or it's already already in place or whatever, and that they'll focus on other other things, other things of interest. And I think that we'll see some really good stuff, but I don't, I really don't think until twenty twenty. Okay. All right. Well, I might go ahead with mine now. I feel this is a very labour focused. Um, a recommendation suite, but I think that's just because of the where the where politics is at right now. It is likely we'll see a Labor government next year, which will mean changes for the early education um, sector. And it should repeat as a sort of uh, to add to what Lisa's saying. Um, I still occasionally get people uh, saying that I'm you know, I, you know a huge advocate for Labor. I think I, same as Lisa, not a member, and actually haven't voted for them since 2007, largely due to um, their strange uh, policies as a progressive party to lock children on island hellholes. Um, so until they, you've got know, it's, or something. It's very strange, isn't it? Yes, um, a lot of people who claim to be child rights advocates seem to be okay voting for that policy. I'm not entirely sure why, but they they seem to be happy to do that anyway. Um, what I the uh, what and I, I tell you what, if this prediction does not come off, I will be absolutely ropeable. I think there will be uh, there will be money going to educator wage increases. Um, we're recording this, as I said, early December. It's uh, this will be released, I think, on the twenty first of December. It's still. It, it wouldn't surprise me if something sort of came out even in between those two points. But Bill Shorten has all but gone up to the point of announcing this. There's been a, a variety of press conferences where he's gone on the record saying something that they will be announcing something on this. So this. Um, so if this doesn't happen, it would be utterly appalling and, and a real betrayal, I think, of the sector by Labor. But um, it seems to me that Labor internally have have uh, a decided this is something they need to tackle uh, because they talked a lot about it when they were in government last year and they're and and B they've learnt hopefully the lessons from the early years quality fund if people um, you know can't remember that sort of disastrous policy this was um, you know a, a, a Labor government uh, policy to give um, about 40% of the sector an increase and the rest of the sector uh, not an increase on on a first in first serve basis. It was entirely bizarre policy that was in kind of the dying days as that government was falling. Um, I think it will be a far more comprehensive announcement. It, it may not be a huge amount of money, but it will definitely go to 
all of the sector, I would think. I'm adding prediction upon prediction here, which is dangerous, but I'm going to say it'll be a big, it'll be an announcement. It'll go to all of the sector, um, and it will be the starting point of a, you know an attempt to maybe you know, go back to fair work or or just do a mechanism that's done directly through government. Ooh. Yours is the most specific recommendation, Liam. Well, I think I'm trying. I mean, I'm, I want to win this, and and like I said, this has all but been announced. So if this if this doesn't so you're, happen, you're in- just saying that there'll be an announcement from Labor on on, on wages, wage, and that yeah, will happen directly before funded. the election. That'll happen before the election. Yes, and if they win, look, it may take you know six, twelve, you know, months to, to get it. It may not. It may the money may not come through in twenty nineteen, but there'll be a firm announcement, and it will become policy if they win government. My God, that would be yeah. unreal. I don't see how they can't do it. They, they, like I said, they, they it would be very hard for them to walk to walk back from this. And I, 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 my assumption would be United Voice wouldn't let them. Um, but I know there's been a lot of work going on behind the scenes on this particular issue. Mm. What do you think, Lisa? Um, it really, like, yeah, they could win, but not have the numbers in the Senate to get something like that through. If it's a hung Senate, then. That have no more chance of getting that through than, yeah, than anything. I I don't. I'm not. I'm not as convinced. Like you know, who knows the internal politics between the ALP and United Voice? Um, certainly, United Voice are doing a lot of door knocking on behalf of the ALP. So. Um, maybe there is a bit of, you know, a commitment to improving educators' wages, but I I can't I can't quite see how it could be done. You know, there'd have to be a win in an industrial court first of all. And they'd they'd have to then you know, like it would have to follow how it was for the home care workers or, you know, the um, community workers that got it a few the years shad, ago. The Shad's Award, yeah. Yeah, yeah there, is a, and that, there is a precedent there for how that can be done now. The majority of the workers, so the, the, the Shad's Award is um, a social um, community sort of work, so um, people who work uh, in casework and those kind of things in the community sector. And I think the majority of those people work in not-for-profit community sector, which isn't the case for early childhood. But there is a precedent for how that can work. Um, and my understanding is I, I work in an organisation that has people under the SHADS Award. Um, is that equal remuneration order has been largely successful. Uh, there haven't been too many issues with um, rolling that out. And, well, you know, so I, I think I think it can be done. I think, look, I think you're absolutely right, Lisa. The Senate is always um, who knows what that's going to look like after the next election. And that's always... But um, I think Labor cannot not push this pretty hard given given what they've said in public mm. well i hope that we're all variously right wouldn't that be a much better end of year episode next year yeah if, we, uh, if all those Get things the come odds off. up a little bit more yeah it'd be <laughs> awesome <laughs> all right well let's take another really quick break and we'll be back with our last section of the night uh, which is uh q a we've got a few questions from listeners to answer so stay with us we'll be right back All 
All right, welcome back, everyone. I'm going to wrap up our episode pretty soon, but we've got a few uh, questions from listeners. Thanks to everyone who's um, sent them in or, or left a few on our, on our Facebook page. Now, Lisa and Leanne haven't seen these yet. I feel like I'm hiding a lot from them tonight, but this is this is, this <laughs> is like my Christmas present for the end of the year. I get to see what they're going. Right, so, the power is yours, Liam. <laughs> All right, so I've... Our first one comes from regular listener and commenter Sri. So we're really grateful for all of Sri's support and sharing and commenting and liking throughout the year. Sri, thank you very much. Um, so Sri's episode, uh, episode Sri's question, sorry, is um, what practical steps can we take to move towards embedding a genuine culture of continuous quality improvement within our services, uh, i.e. where is a good place to start? Did you want to have a crack at that one, Leanne, first? How do we sort of begin that? Co- that, that. To. As a matter of fact, I was having a little conversation with someone in the office about this today. Perfect timing. Um, yeah, it is. And and I was sort of running, running that line of questioning is, you know, where, where would you address the the absolute focus to, to, you know, really start that whole focus on quality and and make that improvement because I think we were talking about all sorts of things environments blah 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 all of that sort of stuff um and of course I think in order to really work on quality we've got to focus which I think happens in many services really focus on what is the most important aspect of early childhood education which is the relationships so to me I would love to see that that very strong understanding that relationships and the intentional teaching that goes with uh, side by side with that as well would be the number one focus and of course children at the center of everything and get rid of all of the things that come between the relationship and the children oh that's a perfect place to start Was that adequate? Was that no that's great it's into, in the <laughs> in the exploring the NQS series I've been doing, um, we've just sort of that we're, we're right. I'm right in the middle of that standard two, which is is practice, um, and I, it, it is just that idea that you know that's what it all boils. You can you can get distracted by all the fifty million other things, but it really just comes down to those interactions and engagements and relationships between children and educators, and that you know it, it, it's a it's a cliche and it's a bit of a generalisation, but you know the views you can get that right, everything else kind of falls into place. If you're if you're nailing relationships and interactions and engagement with children, the other stuff mm-hmm. will to an extent you know sort itself out. So I, I yeah, definitely and, and, agree. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, we talk about children's potential and blah, 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 all of those sorts of things, and we worry about what's going to happen to them in year three and year five in all of their standardised testing. But goodness me, wouldn't relationships go a very, very long way to building an empathetic, kind society, as Lisa mentioned earlier, and uh, help us to understand what our role on this planet is? No biggie. Oh, lovely. I might, <laughs> I might just add to that there. And so if that, there's a sort of secondary question, Sri's answer there, which is where is a good place to start? Um, I really recommend, I've, I've become this year particularly been, been really focusing on the idea of learning being visible and what, uh, what, what we can see in spaces and what we can see in interactions that demonstrate sort of, you know, the underlying philosophy and the approach of particular services and educators. So um, continuing that idea of focusing on, you know, firstly relationships and interactions with children, I'd really recommend people in services, you know, have a look, go into each other's classrooms and, and, and look for how we, how are, you know, how are children prioritised? How is the relationships with children prioritised? Can you see that happening without it having to be explained to you? So I always go, I, I want to be able to walk into a classroom and know how 
how educators engage with children. Even if children aren't there and educators can't explain it to me in words, I can see it as I walk in. That's a really great way to think about how, you know, is that is that approach and that that philosophy is really embedded in this in a service is when you can you can see it and feel it and and um, and sense it as you walk in. And if you can do that in your service, you're probably doing you know a great job already. And if you're not, that doesn't mean you're doing a bad job. It might just mean you want to you want to make that visible in a different way in your classroom. And and is that, that that's exactly right, Liam? And isn't it exciting when you can walk into a service and that that people know that you're there, but the educators know that you're there, but they're they're so engaged with the children. And that's their primary focus. It's wonderful. Wonderful. It is, great. is observable. Great point. One. Wonderful. Mm. All right. Uh, we might go um, – oh, this is a good one for you, actually, Lisa. So we've, we've kind of balanced this out well in terms of our two online questions. Um, this one's from, from Wendy, and she asks, what is missing from early childhood courses? And if you could design your ideal course, what would it look like? So I think this is around the, the Cert three diploma, I'm assuming, but you, know, you can probably take that however you want, Lisa. So what would your ideal early childhood course look like? What do you wish training organisations were doing more of? Oh, look, I think actually that's a really hard one for me to answer because I'm not an educator. But um, You know a lot about uh, RTOs and things, though, Lisa. I'm not going to let you undersell yourself. Yeah. Um, I think that some of the basics aren't done. Yeah, some of the how to have relationships with children, how to educate, I think... There's so many new things that are pushed into the sides of courses that when I hear older people like Leanne, if I'm allowed to call her an older person, um, um, talk about the courses that she did when she was first coming into the industry, they had a lot more practical skills than what the ones do now. And I think that, you know, having helped a few people through their Australian diploma, it's it's kind of like there's so much content for them to get through that I'm not really sure if some of those basic things, you know, um, are covered. The other thing, though, that I'd really like for, you know, to change is that people learn the skills of finding knowledge in the sector so that, People learned how to read the regulations. People learned how to discover what documentation is actually um, needed because I think that the Chinese whispers that go around, there was, I um, spent a bit of time on Facebook on some of the larger Facebook groups just to see what's happening because it's a really fascinating way of getting an insight into the sector. And there was a question somewhere recently, and I'm not going to be able to remember what it was, but it was something that there was a black and white answer to, like, you know, um, what is the ratio for such and such? Or is it, oh, no, that's what it was. What is the qualifications for being a director? And there were so many wrong answers in that group that it was just, it was frustrating, you know, like... A, why is someone crowdsourcing this rather than going to the source documents? Do they not know how to go to the source documents? Do they not know how to search within a regulation? Do they not know where the regulation exists? But also what 
made so many people give the wrong answers. What, you know, what, what did they learn in their courses that made them so convinced that their answer was right? So I'd just like to have people to, to have some skills around seeking out answers because educators often, you know, it's not just management of a, a service that needs to know how things run. Educators also need to know what their responsibilities are as educators. And if they don't know how to, you know, how to read the EYLF or how to find something in the EYLF or how to read the regulations or what the national quality standard says on something, then we're really going to be struggling. So you're talking about professional knowledge and autonomy. Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything you wanted to add to Leanne? Oh, well, I just think this would be a great episode for next year is talking about the content of courses. Mm. Um, so I'm just going to put a bit of a placeholder on that one because I think the the continuum of courses, they all perform, uh, you know, the continuum of qualifications all perform a particular function at each stage. And then the articulation between that is very important as well. And I think that we also have to... Um, sort of work on this thinking around what each stage makes possible for people without pushing them into the next stage when they're not quite ready for it because it's actually about learning how to be you know a a high quality educator and then from there then how to be an early childhood teacher which is a whole other debate which I, I would love to have one night with you both or discussion about it mm-hmm. um, because I think it's a an interesting tension that we have in the sector but I think when people come out of their qualifications they're just they are then going to make sense of what they learn and they don't often get the things that that you're talking about Lisa in there because even if they get them they don't have that heightened um, heightened sensitivity to them and that's why postgraduate professional development and professional learning is absolutely essential, particularly for people in the first year after they, they graduate from a qualification. And that's something else, again, that I'd love to talk about, which is support for educators and teachers when they leave their, when they finish their qualification, what's in place as a mentoring or a first year out um, professional development for them? that takes them, that retains them in the sector and then takes them into the next stage of their career. I think you've just planned three or four episodes for us next year. Well, I know. Can I I, just um, throw in that it's really important that it be a very early episode because I don't know if people know that the national consultation process for the latest draft of the Cert 3 and the diploma opened a few days ago and closes on the 28th of February so that... Um, you know, there's a whole consultation thing with webinars, etc., um, that people can participate in. Um, uh, there's a webinar on Wednesday the 12th of December and one on Friday 14th of December. But people, you know, they basically want to know what it is that people, um, you know, want um, changed or or 
you know, finessed around both of those qualifications. So if you want to know more about that, if you go to skillsiq.com.au and just put in the codes for the Cert 3 or diploma into their search engine, then you'll come up with the review process. Good heads up. Maybe that can go in the um, on the website, Liam. Absolutely. Don't you love how they do consultations in December and January? Oh. Look, I, I'm I amazed it's not remember a that the last, <laughs> Leanne, wasn't the last review of the calls like similarly in some bizarre time that no one could, you know, could do it? Just always remember every year there is, oh, it's December the 20th. We are now going to put out a major tender for all of the sector. I, do you I know what? I do not have to write a tender this this oh December to January. It's That's the first incredible. year for ages. So. Well, there's two there's two things about that, and this is my opportunity to say two things. <laughs> One is congratulations that you don't have to. The other is. There's no money. <laughs> there's just no money. <laughs> so that's it. But I, I do. I think we might have referred to this before when, when we were doing the PSC tender, and I was uh, under the canvas in Kiama on the information session, and you were in Vietnam. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, is this a is this a bad time to tell you I'm going to be um, putting out a tender the two co-hosting positions for the for the podcast over December and January. So if you want to um, spend a bit of time getting those together and just getting to me, um, hang on, hang on, Liam. You're making a presumption that that's something we would choose to tender for, <laughs> or or something that we haven't told Liam. The big surprise is that we're quitting next year. <laughs> <laughs> that's the real um, uh, that's know, the real, real surprise <laughs> because we've asked for a pay rise Liam we've asked we've asked and we haven't been given anything <laughs> yes well, that's it well have you learned nothing from the fantastic educators this year you two and it's going to have to be some walk off action you <laughs> <laughs> um, have to walk off from a podcast because we actually do it while sitting well, no, you just get that sound effect of shoes slowly walking away. That's perfect for an audio podcast. That's it. That's right. They have to be bright yellow shoes. <laughs> All right. Now, we've got um, one more. It, 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 I don't think it's a question here. We're kind of stealing this from a Facebook comment because I know we, we, I think we have a few views on it and we'll, we'll use this as our last sort of question slash um, uh, provocation. Um, but uh, we, we, had, we put up a post um, a little while ago with our most recent episode um, and Melinda uh, sort of had a comment um, or something for us to think about there, and she said, um, there's a conversation to be had about the way assessment and rating is being undertaken in New South Wales lately. It's having a detrimental effect on the well-being and morale of our educators and directors, and in many cases missing the real indicators of quality. Um, Elisa and I actually, we, we, we sort of chatted about this via email, even over the phone a little while, because this is something we've been hearing for a little while from, from listeners of the show and from some other people. Um, and... Lisa, was it you know? Was there a particular response you wanted to make to sort of what that, that was hearing? Which I think is just generally the, assess, the assessors seem to be saying some different things than we're used to in the sector about how ratings can go, whether whether services can get exceeding, or just I guess how they how educators are feeling about the process. So are you hearing that there's some not yeah, so great things going look, on? Essentially, I think um, you know we, we've decided that we'll try and get someone from some government department or some quasi-government organisation to talk to us about um, what's happened because um, certainly there seems to be a different take about 
um, exceeding that is happening on the ground. I actually ran some statistics today just to see if people's perceptions were being backed up by what was happening. Now, we only have statistics for 2018 till the end of September. We don't have them for the whole year. But in 2017, 29% of services um, that were rated in that year across Australia um, were rated as exceeding. And it was the same for in New South Wales, surprisingly enough. So New South Wales and Australia, it was both 29%. This has dropped this year to 15% in um, Australia-wide and 9.4% in New South Wales. So certainly that's almost you now half the number of services that were reaching, that were rated exceeding this year or in the part of the year that we've had so far as compared to last year and even more than that in New South Wales. So I think um, Liam and I kind of had a discussion because Liam said, well, we knew that it would be harder to get it um, uh, because now you've got to, to get ex exceeding um, on a standard, you've got to, on a quality area, you've got to have exceeding in all of the standards of that quality area. But I think that, those rating changes point to more than just that intention. I think it's um, it's something else other than that change that's happened. And I looked back through, you know, Education Council minutes and everything like that, and I don't think that there was an really, uh, you know, unless I've totally missed it, I don't think there was anything that intended to have to you know, correct the bell curve of um, of where services are rated. It's definitely a, a topic for discussion for the next year. And like I said, we're sort of hearing interesting things. It seems to be particularly in New South Wales, but I think we're hearing other cases as well. And like I said, I'd I'd, I'd love to speak with someone who's you know who's actually involved in assessment and rating and get it directly from the horse's mouth. But um, I I get the sense this is a this is a communication issue. I I, I think that the changes to the NQS assessment and rating process maybe haven't been clearly articulated and also that it may be the case that, um, you know, assessors in, in, in particular cases are, um, are not communicating that effectively to services and are actually making services kind of, you know, feel there's no way we can get exceeding, which is not the point of the but, system. But, yeah, but Liam, did you really think that those changes to the number of standards, you know, to having to get exceeding in all the standards would cause a, a you know a fifty percent drop in sorry if that maths is wrong but <laughs> would cause the number of exceeding services to halve. Um, well, I, I I don't think I thought about it in terms of specific percentages or anything, but I I, I kind of thought there would be a drop. I mean, I feel like we're we're, we're getting into the episode we want to have next year, but but the the stats were, I think kind of weird like you would kind of assume in any system where you have a, a working towards which is really not meeting meeting and exceeding there should be a huge large percentage that are meeting a smaller percentage that are exceeding and a smaller percentage that are working towards now the stats sort of showed that there were about roughly the same and in some cases more exceeding services than than, than meeting which 
you know, given the sector, you know, the, the system only started in 2012, I think, was an, was an issue. But separate to the, 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 the how, how, service, how some centres got exceeding was also incomprehensible in certain ways. It was kind of madness that you could get, not get exceeding in some standards of a quality area and still get an overall rating of exceeding for a quality area. And, and the, the alchemy and magic behind how that was worked out by the, the state and territory regulatory authority just made no sense. So that the system is is easier to understand. But I it's think. still madness because you don't have to you don't get exceeding in all quality areas to get exceeding. Like that's yeah. Yeah. Uh, look and, and look and I'll probably be an advocate for that to potentially change. Yeah. But that that is at least a little easier to understand. There is a there is a ranking system for the quality areas which is a little easier to understand the standard area, but I think this might be one we'll have to add to our twenty nine team list of episodes. But what we can say as well is if people had particular experiences with with the ratings, the particularly assessment and rating visits being conducted differently since February this year when the, the rating system changed, uh, please get in touch with us. Visit our website earlyeducationshow.com or email us at earlyedushow at gmail dot com because I think this is definitely something we'll we'll tackle next year. We are we are hearing it a lot. But I think that's that, that's it for our we're, we're closing the the Q and A box now. So thanks everyone who's who sent in, um, and we're we're just about to wrap up for the year. Through Liam, another... Just before you before yeah. you wrap up, I don't want it to be a bell curve. I want there to be more exceeding service. <laughs> yeah, but, but, <laughs> I know. I, but I I agree with Liam's point about the where we're at in the in the introduction of the the system. So it would be interesting to see what happens in other systems in terms of the progress towards exceeding or, yeah. you know, something of the like. I agree, I agree Lisa. With Lisa. That's what yeah. I want to see too. Like I would desperately like to see everybody in yeah. that exceeding category. How great would that be for children? Yeah. But, that, but that's kind of not how the world good. works, unfortunately. <laughs> Oh, don't spoil it for me, Liam. That's not the bedtime story that Lisa wants. Lisa just doesn't want this episode to end. She wants to keep recording with us. She doesn't want it to be the end of the last episode of the year. But Lisa, it is. It is. It is. Um, I think just as as we as we wrap up the year, we I sort of said this at the start. We wish you know everyone who's who's listening and all the educators and leaders and professionals out there a really great break. Um, Please take care of yourselves. Um, and make sure you're coming back, you know, full of uh, energy and enthusiasm. Um, I, w- I guess we can, be, you know, directly thank again the, the listeners who listen to this show, um, you know, each and every week or, or dip Lisa, in and out. Lisa, Lisa, did you get flowers for Liam for the end of the year? Oh shit, I forgot. I thought you were getting. Oh, sorry, sorry. This, I was having a serious moment there with the listeners, and <laughs> derailed it. Sorry. I had a prepared statement. Listen. Just before you finish, Sorry, I think the, the, <laughs> yeah. the reason why we're talking flowers is because you do the hard work every night. We just sit here and shoot the breeze with you and then you have to go away and make it into a yeah. podcast. That's do fine. you realise that if you got hit by a bus tomorrow, the podcast would die because Leanne and I have got no idea how to do it? Which is why we've been advertising for a replacement. <laughs> <laughs> we need an intern. We need an intern. That might be good. So, Liam, that's exactly why I raised it. And I do want you to have the serious moment, but I do want to say thank you so much. Oh, well, yeah. I think 
really, really quickly. There, there, there's two reasons I do it. One is um, all the listeners and the people who you know who comment and share our stuff and, and are so supportive of, of this you know ridiculous show that really you know shouldn't still be going, but for some reason it, it is. We um, we 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 love talking early childhood, and it's kind of it kind of still kind of seems madness to me that we're 89 episodes into this and that we record these chats and, and put them out there and people actually seem to like and, and listen to them. Um, but the, you know, the, the second reason is I get to do it with you two every week. And um, oh, I can't think of a, oh, I can't think of a better way to spend my time. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think oh, as well. We please I, go back to your serious moment because I feel like we did really interrupt. No, that. Actually, no that was it. I think sorry. it is, you know, the, the, yeah, there there are a bunch of people, and if if I was more organised, I would you know list them all. But there are you know a solid, particularly you know ten or eleven people that just comment on everything and like and share our stuff, and um, pretty 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 much every time we put out a post on social media, they're they're sort of you know supporting us, and you know it's um it's that that stuff I, I probably can't as you can hear I, I can't put into words how much that that stuff means. It does make all the mm-hmm. yeah you know, the, the work each week worth it. We just you know really hope we're sort of giving something to the sector that's that's useful. Um, and helpful with people who do, you know, some pretty incredible work out there with with children and families in the community. Yeah, and and everybody have a great break and come back ready and raring for the excitement of twenty nineteen. <laughs> and that's a that's that is the plan. So we'll be taking a break and having and and you know get becoming refreshed and energized and and having very excited voices. We'll probably be back. How in about- long do we get off? We've got probably all of January. We'll be back. We generally go by oh, school holiday, woo-hoo. school holidays, which are so probably first or second week in February. We'll put out the the official return date probably in early in January. Um, but there is a big backlog of episodes to listen to now. There's 80, 80, 88 plus this one out there. So you know, feel free to go back and listen to uh, to those the ones. But the back catalog. I always the... think that I should go back and listen to some of them. It would be appreciated you if you would be a podcast. listener of the show. No, <laughs> we're nice if you made an exception in this case, Lisa. <laughs> Maybe that could be Lisa's goal for 2019 is um, is to actually listen to a pod one, just one, just one, one podcast. You can do it. Get Lisa. about ten minutes in, and then I just disappear into written words somewhere, oh. and then go, "Oh bloody hell, I forgot to listen." <laughs> all right well let's wrap it up so again thank you to to everyone who's listened have a have a wonderful break we can't wait to be back with you for more uh rants craziness and uh more two things from lisa next year so until <laughs> until 2019 it's goodbye from me and from me and from me You have been listening to The Early Education Show, hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Liam McNicholas and produced by Liam McNicholas. Find us online at earlyeducationshow.com and while you're there, it would be great if you could hit the Support the Show tab where you can become a patron of the show and support us for as little as $1 a month. We really appreciate it. Get in touch with us at earlyedushow at gmail.com or on Facebook and Twitter with the username earlyedushow. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store. This really helps other people find the show. See you next time.